0: This podcast contains explicit language and plot
1: spoilers. Stinks bad and we're all covered up in it too. Ain't nobody clean. Be nice to get clean though. And how do we do that? We ante up and we kick in. You found the real war project. This is episode two, Edswick's Epic Glory. Charles, it is good to see you. It's Hi. nice to see you, Aaron. Hi. I have a question for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here it is. Yes. Does this movie glorify war? Yes. <laughs> you see what I did there? You see what I did? <laughs> 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 I mean, obviously the answer is yes, Charles. Right? Right.
0: Right. And it's, yeah, there's so much to talk about for how? a movie. What do you mean, how?
1: How would you say this movie glorifies war. i want to hear all the stuff you want to talk about in two seconds i just want to get this list and then i want to hear your bits
0: i think in a very old super old-fashioned way it glorifies war in that um in that it it looks at at the valorous um oh what's the word i'm looking for in in performing war you are to find like validation in society big time. Right. Like, and that's almost like the, the sad thing is that the exact same pitch is made in like world war one to another unit. And then in world war two, there's like the exact same pitch. Like it's glory is the same story as Tuskegee Airmen.
1: Yeah. It's almost like America loves telling itself this story again and again and again and again.
0: (laughs) Right right and it just never shows that like when they return back you know you're just treated like trash and they don't care the moment the uniform's off of you
1: trip at least has the clarity that like no one's going to win right he's like no one's going to win anyway yeah anyway Do you have any any more on that that or those those, those no two i right.
0: think i think that's that's like really just the most obvious thing is that that's how yeah. how it's sold is that through yeah. through this you will show these people what you're worth and and we'll get through it as we walk through the movie i think there's yeah. there's a lot i love this movie i think you know let me just say it from the beginning like it's it's a banger man like it's a good movie it there's parts that are very problematic i think especially when you were texting me the other night but they man they still move me emotionally and is that like the stupid like get out liberal that's inside of me then potentially yeah but is it not? I don't know. It's so complicated.
1: It's the power of cinema. I mean, this movie is incredibly well made. It's incredibly well made. It was nominated for one, two, three, four, five Academy Awards, and it won three of them. Best Supporting, Best, um, what the heck? Oh, Best, best Supporting Actress. Wow. Yeah, yeah, for be, no, best, Shah's yeah, mom. Right. Wow. Yeah, for her, Yeah. Best, best Supporting Actor to Denzel Washington, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing. Uh, I would talk all day about what we call affect, the general feel of this mm. movie, how mm-hmm. it feels, the sound, the look. Um, it was nominated for Art Direction and Film Editing. Yeah. There are some deleted scenes on YouTube that are fascinating.
0: I haven't watched any of them. I Yeah. Yeah. So I think you should
1: say first what your relationship with this movie is. Okay, sounds good. This movie came out in 1989, as I like to say, and at that point in time, I was nine years old, which means I definitely did not see it when it came out. Um, It was the first R-rated movie I'd ever seen, Um, and I saw it well into a several-year-long just absolute infatuation with the American Civil War people are nerds about different things in their lives and i was a red hot american civil war nerd i still am just deeply interested in the history the music the people the geography i had seen many times the ken burns documentary on yes. um you know the civil war which is another example of just incredible american storytelling is what i'll call it <laughs> um this movie, I want to say, I saw it when I was like ten or eleven. I definitely saw it in my basement in the middle of the night. It, it scared the hell out of me. It absolutely pumped me up. It made me like want to be a soldier real bad. Um, and it, you know, I don't know. I just loved everything about it. And since then, it has been canon in my life. I own this movie um a lot of times i have to sit and grade and i have to sit and read and that just takes a tremendous amount of time sitting in one place and i'll just run movies that i love i told you the other day my favorite movie is apollo 13 that one's the one i've seen the most mm-hmm. it's not my favorite it's the one i've seen the most glory is well up there james horner soundtracks both of them and you and i talked a lot about mm-hmm. how you can hear that I think the launch sequence for Apollo 13 is some of the most compelling movie making mixed with music. And I could just go all day on that. And you hear a lot of very similar themes in this um, movie, but you've also got the, the choir, the boys choir and the Carmina Barana rip off. And Oh gosh, it's, I just am infatuated with the story. And it wasn't until we decided to watch this that I got critical. I put the old critical hat on it. <laughs> And I come away saying it's a tangled mess of white intellectual alibis. It is a racist, um, you know, pile. It's definitely pro-war. It is very pro-war, I think. Like you, I think it links belonging, a very specific kind of manly belonging to soldiering in war. It's not the only movie doing that, but it's a pretty powerful voice in the choir. Um, It's gorgeous. It's immersive and exciting, which makes me want to do it. I pretended as soon as I saw this as a kid, my like ten or eleven. You know, I'm still pretending it by getting in the woods in Montana doing all that. The cast is great. The cast is incredible. Mm-hmm. Every top to bottom, not just the big name actors, but all the little bitsy pieces. The quartermaster, the the general at the end. I just it all clicks. So it's
0: chock full of that guys, and it's it's really it's really a stacked cast. Um, the, the people that, that show up in this movie are really impressive. I haven't seen this in so long. And so Mm. it's when I I was watching it, I was like, Oh, that guy, that guy, Oh, famous piece of shit. That guy, you know, it was, it was so exciting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were the one that told me that, um, Oh, what's his name? Um, Andre, uh, how do you say his last name? Brower? I think so. Yeah. Right. He's on, what is it? Brooklyn nine, nine. See, I've never seen that. Yeah. Brooklyn nine, nine. Right. And so he's kind of a, a guy that people have seen. And yeah, he's just like wildly good.
0: He's so good. Movie. He's yeah. so good. Yes, yeah. So yeah. I must have seen this movie sometime around the same time that you did, if not, potentially in the theater because my parents are insane.
1: Um, wow. right. Five minutes into this movie, a man's head blows up like a water. Come on! Come on! Like <laughs> this movie made a statement pretty Mm -hmm. early on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So seeing that in the theater at that age is like, here, child, experience cinematography. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Paths of Glory, they blew up a very obvious mannequin. Like the the camera gazed at a mannequin for a moment and then it just (laughs) exploded. And I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. Let's see what happens in 1989 when it comes to the rendering of the spectacle of war, right? Right. Paths of
0: Glory also had like this one dude just kind of like lingering, waiting for the explosion to go off so he could react to it. Like it was... It was, it was like, oh, no, 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 I'm supposed to get the explosion on camera. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, I saw this movie also super young. Um, I was already in Phoenix so when I saw this. so I mean, it came out in 89, so, I mean, everything kind of lines up that potentially I saw this either in the theater or shortly after it came out on VHS. This might have been one of those things that my parents watched one night and then thought about it and then... Had us watch it, or that it had enough hype that it was a an important movie of some sort at the
1: time. I was gonna say that it's we an watch important it. movie. People would right. call this an important. Well, Hollywood has definitely dubbed it an important movie. Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch it in school? Because I definitely I did. Watch like parts we did. of it in schools right yeah. for the end of the year, like summer's coming. Mm-hmm. We we'll watch a. Little bit of glory with a note from mm-hmm. the parents, kind of thing.
0: Also, though, in and, and fifth or sixth grade, we watched. That. Yeah, we saw Children of the Corn sometime around that time. <laughs> like, Whoa! <laughs> yeah, our our school at times was a um was the teacher as long as we weren't fighting, ah. you just watch whatever you bring in. It was crazy. Um, but cool. but yes, no, I do think <laughs> that at some point we were talking about the Civil War and specifically like this was a TV on the cart. Mm -hmm. um couple of days in class where we watched this yes
1: and they still do i've i've had college students like to this day tell me that they have seen this movie or parts of this movie in school um i think it has like you know that kind of history of just being one of those movies that a lot of like roots right like i mean i think this is one of those Mm -hmm. like kind of american civil war apologetic versions that is just graphic enough to be like Big quotes real mm-hmm. um but accessible enough and smarmy enough and romantic enough to pass the muster of school boards <laughs> yeah right like <laughs>
0: yeah right i don't know let's let's go let's go through it i guess like i don't know how you want to tackle this thing well, because here's, it's so i have
1: another question i want to ask you because mm-hmm. we want to do this kind of backwards as best we can and mm-hmm. maybe even forwards What comparatives would you make between this movie and Paths of Glory? We watched Paths of Glory last episode, had a really fascinating conversation about the role of beauty and persuasion. (laughs) And this movie is just like perfect to follow that one up because Paths of Glory is not glory at all like right mm, right it's very yeah, the, obvious right? yeah it's like, this is
0: that's why i got so excited about this is because yeah. um it's because now it's like we're building up the intertextual language of mm-hmm. film right same and and i don't think i ever would have really would have thought to put paths of glory next to glory even though just there's a total obviously. accident right it just happened on it and it, right. it's working in a lot of ways and 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 already i see i see in shaw the same character or the same position as Daxon and Burlard. And that came to me today when I was watching it with my with my wife, where I was like, oh my God, it's the same thing where it's being lined up everything that is wrong with the attack and how it is doomed to fail. And only the the wanton spending of lives against a against a position is ever going to hope to take it, and and what is the point? And even telling that to him to Shaw, he jumps at the opportunity to volunteer his men for it for the sake of glory. But he does go into it. So unlike, no, not Brulard, M- Moreau. Unlike Moreau, right. um, who doesn't go into the battle, um, he does go into the battle like Colonel Dax, who does have like his actual, his actual direct rank, like of. Well, no, I guess he's like a regiment. Well, who who cares? In any case, um and then he and he does die for it. But it's like so glorified in the whole thing, and I couldn't help <laughs> I couldn't help in this watching to think of it in the in the backwards 2020 view, like when Morgan Freeman is giving that speech to Denzel Washington and he's saying, it's like, all these guys, you know, have been dying for you or whatever. And it's like, good, fucking let them die. Thousands
1: dying for you. Fool. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like,
0: well, guess how they have uniforms hmm. and guess how they have this and how they have that, man. It's like, fuck them. Let them die. I don't... It's, like, it's about time they do something to make this right. Um, I couldn't help but think that Denzel was, like... It would have been so interesting. Well, we can talk about that later on. But it's, like, Denzel was just, like, speaking truth the entire time throughout the movie. and yeah. um, And it was, like, kind of sad that... I had written down that he has, like, the curse of, of foresight. Like, he just sort of somehow knows, like, the future. And that... Yeah none of this is going to really matter and picking up the flag. Like, like I wish that maybe he had had a scene. Like, I wonder when they're burning down that town, if he didn't relish it.
1: Fascinating. (laughs) Fascinating. You had said in a text to me that a a version of this movie that situates trip Denzel Washington's character as the main character would be a fascinating one. Yes. Right. When you said it, I was like, yup. And, um, Then I was doing the same thing when I was watching it uh, earlier uh, last night and this morning. I texted you that um, in my homework, I found that two of Frederick Douglass's sons were in the 54th Massachusetts. Oh Including one who, uh, Lewis Douglas, was the sergeant major. They called him the Lion of the 54th, apparently. Um, He's one of the witness accounts that tell us what happened to Colonel Shaw. Oh, sure. Um, And and I'm like, that sounds like a pretty fascinating (laughs) movie. And and, and we're going to talk, you know, hopefully later on, too, a little bit about how this movie really focuses the gaze on the, quote, like, ignorant soldiers. I would say even Searle's. Uh, the kind of book smart soldier is just dumb in the ways of soldiering and they really make a lot of hay out of that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he grows up fast, we would say, right? In the emasculating language we'll use. But um, it's it's fascinating when you look at Trip and that question of whether or not he enjoyed burning it all down. I mean, I think of that scene right before where they're on the on the steamer and he's like, I forgot about how hot it was down here. And, and Denzel's character is like, you know, welcome home. And just a look on his face. I mean, they're all really burnt out. We'll talk about that maybe too, but it's just an interesting angle. And what we get instead is a very problematic version of Colonel Shaw. Right. <laughs> right. So so go go
0: into that, into the history of it, because I think yeah. that that, I mean, you can't talk about it without going into the actual history, because... <laughs> Because what is the (laughs) point to a certain extent fascinating, (laughs) right? To a certain extent, like, what is the point of telling the historical the historical story or using real names or anything like that? If you're not going to be true to what really happened? Or even and, like remotely close, <laughs> right? Right, because I was I surprised. You have what to cut you,
1: corners, but do you have to cut corners through a grocery store? <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: exactly. Yeah, just go go into it. I, I'm I'm curious to hear what you what you learned here because this is oh, this gosh. is surprising to me.
1: Because actually,
0: written in my notes, my first note here is voiceover would seem saccharine if it weren't direct quotes.
1: Dear mother, I hope you are keeping well and not worrying too much about me. You mustn't think that any of us are going to be killed, for they are collecting such a force here that an attack would be insane. The Massachusetts men passed through here this morning. How grand it is to meet the men from all the states, east and west, down here, ready to fight for their country, as the old fellows did in the Revolution. Mmm, yeah, Mm. right? This this movie starts with quotes of letters from Shaw to his mother. (laughs) But this time, we must make it a whole country for all who live here. So that all can speak. We fight for men and women whose poetry is not yet written, but which will presently be as enviable and as renowned as any. Last night, we heard of yet another defeat. I found so many things. I told you at the very beginning the reason I'm doing this is, yes, I want to talk about movies, but I'm also an academic who likes to study things like culture. And we're studying war culture. And this made me go looking for things that were written. I have letters from Company B Soldiers, um, which is 54th Massachusetts that I printed out. I haven't read those yet, but that's going to be cool. I have a really cool article by Thomas Cripps, Frederick Douglass, the, Absence Pre- the Absent Presence and Glory. Sounds amazing. But these are the two that I wanted to really emphasize the backstory on Shaw. There's this amazing article called Exposing the White Avatar, Projections, Justifications, and the Ever-Evolving American Racism. This is by Nishi, Matthias, and Montoya. And then I watched an American Experience documentary back when the History Channel did other things besides like ancient aliens and stuff. They had mm-hmm. a really great series called American Experience. Well,
0: they used it's to be like on your, PBS, yeah. I used to love Yeah, that. right? Yeah. It's, it,
1: yeah, it's it, again, smarmy, romantic, I mm-hmm. would call it. It's all of those things. And Charles, you and I have this fascinating conversation about um, a, a war rhetoric that like plays on the language of the flag and things. And huh. this documentary is just primed for it because of the way that it tells the story of the 54th in relationship to the flag we're not talking about that this um documentary talks about colonel shaw as aimless before the war kind of bad at school didn't really know what he wanted to do his family is one of literally one of the very first in massachusetts they come over from scotland um they're very wealthy at this point His mom is a devoted abolitionist. Her dad apparently is a very active, like these are elite, wealthy abolitionist white people. Shaw apparently is um, like kind of tepid on the whole equality thing and fairly explicitly anti-abolitionist. This disappoints his mom. Robert, darling. Who Shaw is apparently like fairly devoted to the historian in the the documentary literally calls him a mama's boy Mm -hmm. Um, and they do a lot of showing as they do so that kind of explains this this doesn't take away from the heroism of Wagner or any of that but it sets a pretty important backstory because. This movie starts with these saccharine quotations, you know, that come off a little heavy handed. And it's because they are. It's, he's writing to his mom in, in his correspondences with his mom. You get a lot of this, like all men are equal. So all men can be free. That is why we fight. And in pretty much all of his other correspondences, you get a lot of N word and a lot of other epithets. And this fades eventually. But it is also worth noting that one of the things that the documentary had was a quotation from Glory, where, um, he says something like, I am, he's, um, praising the surprising capability of the black soldiers, right? And we'll talk a lot about how that should Mm -hmm. not clearly not be so surprising. But anywho, he's, he's praising that, surprising everyone. Okay, fine. But the, the line in the movie is like, I'm confident we'll leave the state as fine of a regiment that has ever marched or something. And then like two lines later in the letter, he's like, they're way better than those Irish soldiers that I've commanded, which is like the explicit racist counterpunch of the time. You are comparing black folks to the Irish on who is the worst. <laughs> and it's it's in one of the letters that make it into glory. But like we said, the storytellers, they're like, oh, "We're going to cut that right there. We'll just take the quotation right here and... <laughs>
0: <laughs> then, oh my god. It would have been great if they leaned into that point of view of his where it showed it them marching complex. out and then the camera just panned over to a bunch of drunken Irish soldiers who essentially right. just look like leprechauns, living leprechauns. Well,
1: it makes his his interactions with um what is it, Sergeant Mulcahy or whoever Mulcahy, the dude who's yeah. teaching him how to mm-hmm. yeah, right? It makes those interactions a lot more complex at the very Oh movies. my god. <laughs> so like so Shaw is you know, historically almost deified. Like I have gone looking, there's surprisingly little scholarship on the movie Glory itself. What I've found is, you know, most of the stuff that, that is within my discipline. But there are so many documentaries about the 54th. There's a very famous statue to them in um, Chicago, um, like, which is in Illinois. And like, you know, it just goes on and on and on about the way that this particular individual in this particular regiment is positioned why? that is Hold not on. close it, to what we're told.
0: Why is it in Illinois and not in... That, is that, that, is that's is that literally a, my
1: point, is li- literally Is the that a, one is, of
0: those things like it's Massachusetts and you guys know what Massachusetts is like? <laughs> that's why it's not in there.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, no, because because it really was. I mean, at the time it destroyed everyone's expectations of what was possible not just for black soldiers, but like really for soldiering in general, they were only mustered for like six months before they hit Wagner and they hit it really hard. Like everyone thought they would have gotten completely annihilated and instead they got up and over the top and into the fort and, um, you know, it was like 40% casualties or something like that, which one of the things when I said over half, yeah. you know, like it was. Yeah. And, and that yeah. is um, one of the things I read. I can't remember the exact language, but it's like that is indicative of the determination of the unit that it will. I mean, there are some times where they are just like totally they have nothing they can do to avoid it. But in, in each of the two battles that they fought, you see a resilience against very overwhelming odds. The first skirmish that we see a little bit of in this movie um, happened like two days or four days before Wagner or something and um there too they were totally overwhelmed they were absolutely overwhelmed and they stood their ground and they fought better than most soldiers at the time would have according to pretty much all accounts now we can say these are people like polishing up the mythology of the black regiment but um the expectations were very against and um what's interesting too that this movie really omits and this speaks to the nishi matthias and montoya article about the kind of the ways that american film um ignores racism while perpetuating racism itself the 54th massachusetts was um comprised of predominantly formerly free and freed individuals many of whom had jobs it had a higher literacy rate than many of the units of the confederate army Um, It was not predominantly freed slaves. It had a very small percentage compared to most other black regiments of free slaves because it was itself supposed to be the legacy regiment. You get it? That was the whole point of building it. The governor of Massachusetts, Frederick Douglass, they all like, there were people that went to Harvard in that. Um, I told you the two sons of Frederick Douglass were there. So the expectation that they would be bad on soldiering is obviously clearly racist, but also just denies the fact that they're pulling from, like, the, quote, best of the best of the best of the people possible that they have and shipping them to the 54th Massachusetts. A lot of the people in the 54th are from Canada. They're from Pennsylvania. They're from Rhode Island. They they, they trucked them in from all over the place, literally in the dead of night, um to, to make this unit. And does that, does that mean they're going to be good in a fight? Of course not. But – you know the expectation is if you're well educated and trained well and all those things you'll you'll do that um but this movie focuses on ignorant black folks pretty much right like rollins is wise and and kind of like a like the the advisor magical like person who's always there in the background saying just the right things you've got trip who is just the the rebellious angry um, a lot like, like you said, he's got the power of foresight. He's probably the smartest one in the movie in terms of what's going on, but he's mm-hmm. framed as just this like over the top bully, very angry, rightly so. Ah, uh, you've got Jupiter shards. <laughs> no, I agreed Sorry. with him. Go ahead. Right, I was gonna
0: say it's like I agreed with him so much more than I feel like you were supposed to agree with him. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. And probably I feel like back in the day, I probably as a kid read him as being so much more antagonistic. And this time as I was watching it, I was like, no, nah, man, you're right.
1: <laughs> I mean, the language of criticism lets me say things like the movie, I think, is clearly positioning him as a kind of antagonist. He gets his redemption story by picking up the flag. Uh, and famously, right. the individual who did pick up the flag, his name was Sergeant William Carney, the first black soldier to earn the Medal of Honor, shot twice in the leg, once through the shoulder, makes it to the top of the parapet, and then back to his lines. He did not die in the fort. Oh. Um, but again, for this story, he's going to, it's going to be Tripp that does it, and we'll just erase a Medal of Honor winner there and um, let Tripp be the one that that does it and and let that be like his redemption story, right? He makes the pivot. I couldn't get over the fact that at the end of the movie his face is literally in Colonel Shaw's armpit. I'm just like, god, this movie is is positioning whiteness in a very pristine and sacrificial place amidst a lot of like ignorant black folks. Is kind of the point. So,
0: like yes, I I always have this the I mean, I know to a certain amount that when you're telling a, this is going to be the conversation I think of the entire, of the entire run of the show is like, when do you show it? Like, what is the point? What is the point of you showing this? You know, can I give like, you one
1: more example of this? Was, not to interrupt you. Yeah, no, do go. You know on. What they did with Shaw's body, afterwards, they I do they stripped know this. him down yes, to his underpants. On, they um put him on display inside the fort for several days, and and then oh. they buried him in that pit. So that's another version where it's like, when do you show this? Like, what are you gonna show, and when do you show it? It's a pretty important question. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there's a good example.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when you're when you're portraying, you know, it's it's an old time and nobody freaking involved is still alive. So why don't you just show what it really is? I understand that maybe to a certain amount you have to compress timelines or or push characters together in order to Mm -hmm. convey moods and feelings or, or just because you just can't show everybody unless you're doing band of brothers or something. Right. Right. Um, which would be super cool and they should. (laughs) Um, but, but, but they, it would, but the other thing is, is like, why would you change that guy? You know, like if you have the opportunity to show, an actual moment of true medal of honor winning bravery. Right. Just show that guy. Like why, like, like the other thing, battle of Antietam. So that was definitely the first time I ever saw some shit like that. I understand you were at Antietam.
1: Yes. A great and a terrible day. In eight hours, there will be 23,000 casualties in a cornfield in Maryland. Um, it is just an absolute calamity of American like warfare. And when this movie opens and it just says Antietam, as, even as a 10-year-old, I was like, oh, 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 okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> because you know, you know. Like, I mean, it was it, it's the single bloodiest day in American history. It still is the single bloodiest day in American history.
0: I feel like you had that same reaction when we saw the trailer to Cold Mountain. Yeah, they showed Petersburg And birth. it showed the earth lifting yep. up, and you just, like, turned at me with your yep. eyes wide open. You're like, oh, my yep. God. And ever since I've known yeah, you, like, I've been uh... like, they're
1: going to do Vicksburg. And when they do, it's going to be something. Like, HBO is going to pick up Vicksburg, <laughs> and it's going to be apologetic. They're going to cut all these corners. Anyway, go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so the next one is, I, was, I just wrote down here, keeping an eye out for reenactors, which means um, people that are way too yeah. heavy. Uh, maybe to be walking around out there, um, and uh, and entirely too right. old. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was. They kept a generally pretty. P- Thinned out, pe- looking people, kind of gaunt looking people for the most part when they were up close. But there was definitely some times when I saw some people that looked like the types that showed up at Greenfield Village, yeah, <laughs> for Civil War weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, it's
1: like you got mall <laughs> Santa. Um, this and is the first time mall ever- Confederate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this is my first time seeing the Field Hospital and. Uh, <laughs> when I was as a kid Um, and and I got excited right yeah that was that's a gnarly scene the guy screaming
1: please don't cut anymore please Please please! while Colonel Shaw gets his neck dabbed and the guy's like this might hurt you little colonel I'm sorry I'm like this is just well written
0: I was scribbling in my notebook, and I perked up when I heard his voice, because that is uh, Neelix mm. from Star Trek Voyager. There's that guy. So, there
1: it is. This movie's full of that guy, you said. There, yeah, there you
0: it's full of that guy's, yeah. and he's delivering some very important like information, filling us in on, on some stuff. He gives us the Emancipation Proclamation I love that he does it, too, where he heard it from a buddy the, who
1: heard it from a guy who's in the war department. I'm like, yeah, that's how that works. He's
0: just <laughs> gossiping, and he's completely <laughs> oblivious to what's going yeah. on, to the horror that's mm. going on behind him, and Shaw can't take his right. eyes off of
1: it right i i told you i loved how frail shaw was like they like he falls down and hides at the beginning that was one of the critiques i mm-hmm. said about paths of glory was that he goes across that field not once but twice with like very little display of fear and i feel like shaw is much more vulnerable and that makes it like that made me like feel like it was pretty real i don't know mm-hmm. anyway
0: right yeah no it was um and i wonder if that suggested the the evolution of portraying people over the last... No doubt. You know, one was Paths of Glory, 57 to then
1: 80, you know, so... Well, but we're talking I about Stanley Kubrick, like, years. he knows how to do a fragile character, I would imagine, right? Like, he ought to be able to know how to position someone there. It's not like it's technology beyond his know-how or the capabilities. I was when...
0: Right, when we were watching it, like, the... um, His... His fragileness, like, kind of comes toward the end, yes. where he just, like, I feel like yes. he's he's more resigned to knowing his fate. Yeah and and also and also like coming at anger when he's walking through when dax is walking through the trench prior to the attack Mm. he looks so mad Mm -hmm. and it's like his eyes are like looking at all of like these guys and it's like he's just doing mental math the entire time like right it's just that guy's you don't really
1: get that you get that a little bit from shaw when they're they get their muskets and he's watching them all like pretend to fight you get a little bit of that I told you I thought it was interesting, and, and there's whole papers written about the evolution of the portrayals of PTSD in war, and papers written that say that if you try to do it, you can just kiss that DOD money goodbye because they don't want to talk about it. Um, but this movie does. It gives us Shaw freaking out when the dude closes a window and he's just trying to pour his punch and he can't like keep Robert. that mm-hmm. together. Robert, are you all right? Yes. And then that yes. moment too, where he's just watching them like play we get that for God's sakes come on which is the line the guy says before his head explodes and then it cuts to a bot right. You see the bottom literally. right literally yeah and, and then that's the scene where he disciplines the whole firing group for not being any good at the killing and, and like him holding the gun right b- behind Jupiter's head and just Quickly. shooting it faster. it's like faster load faster do it do it Do it! Do it! Teach them properly, Major. Yes. It's pretty intense, you know? Like, they they do Shaw well in that regard. They they hide all of his racism Uh conveniently, we will say. Why do they make these choices? Because it's not a popular movie, Charles. People won't fall in love with it. (laughs) We need them to like Shaw. They can't hate Shaw. We need them to like him. (laughs) God. Otherwise, it won't get Just made. Like, remember? God. I know exactly. I <laughs> but mean, that it's... speaks to a politics and an expectation of who we're selling it to, and and what the research says again and again is, it comes back privileging stories of whiteness, privileging stories of masculinity, settler colonialism, uh, apologizing for and and fetishizing war and war technology and the complete and total sacrifice of the people expected to pick up the gun and go out there and die.
0: What did you think about the when we first meet Andre Brower? Mm. I was wondering if the abolitionists aren't lightly portrayed. I mean, we're we see a lot of Confederates from a distance mm-hmm. in this movie, but all of the racism comes from the point of view of the union and the good guys yeah. and stuff and so i think this is where we first start seeing yeah. that
1: the article i read does not mention this but this is an application of their concept they go through all sorts of movies generations of movies and they briefly mention gloria as they talk about all these trends that they see and one of the trends really sings it's a term by a guy named john reader who's just huge And it's called white scapegoating. And it talks about how they'll put the the, the savage portrayals of whiteness on white characters. And it makes that white character out to be the scapegoat, which like distances the viewing audience away from that behavior and also suggests that it's like just kind of the system It's not Colonel Shaw and, and like, you know, those people, it's like those other, it's all the other, like even all the union soldiers were racist. And so that means like everyone was racist at the time you get it. It's, it it really did make me think of this concept that, that these people are working with that comes from reader where cinema, one of the ways that cinema will celebrate whiteness and conceal racism is by scapegoating particularized white folks, typically bad guys um, or typically kind of throwaway characters. And they'll do it at at Mm -hmm. the expense of very traumatic language. This word has the N word thrown around a lot. I don't know. And I think that to celebrate whiteness and to conceal racism, again, the other example you wanted to talk about was the trip's whipping. And um, the trivia bits in the IMDB gave us that um, in 1861, the Union Army stopped whipping people, which... Begs the question why in this like literally tokenistic version of the military they would do such a thing to a black man who had been whipped so many times before. They would not. They would never have done this. And I told you what they would have done. They would have straddled him to an artillery wagon. They would have tied him spread eagled to an artillery wagon, which.
0: Is it not the exact same wagon that probably, we were seeing maybe, there? Yeah,
1: right. When I was watching it,
0: because it, it, you had texted me right. last night about it. So I was watching it this time and I was looking at the wagon that he grabs and I was like. What is right. this? How does this break your back right. and I don't I mean I guess you I guess you're going over the hub of the wheel maybe. I don't know. That's on the but back. But yeah, it did there. say that that it, it could know.
1: break your back and that it would break the person's back whereas whipping just obviously leaves scars and participates in legacies of white supremacy. But um anyway, they would not have whipped him but they did and they spent a lot of real estate on it. A lot of real estate. This movie It made me cry. And and Denzel Washington's single tier, I'm I'm almost positive was his Oscar clip that got him the award. This article doesn't Mm -hmm. make this comparison, but they do talk about Hattie McDaniel, who was the first Black woman to win an Academy Award for her quote, mammy portrayal in, um,
0: eventually you're going to have to see Gone
1: with the wind, right? And and how that Mm -hmm. set up this kind of trope for future Black actors that continues to the help. And in my mind, this is an exceptional example because Denzel Washington was the first black person to win the Best Supporting Actor award. And he got it for his portrayal in this whole movie. But this scene was very instrumental in that. They did not have to whip him, but they did. And then the entire industry gives him an award and calls it an important scene, an important moment. You get it? It's like we're cutting a lot of corners. Yes, another great example that you and I touched on. Shaw determining whether he wants to do it or not. In the movie, he goes outside to get some air. His cousin comes out, or whoever it is, uh, Carrie Elways, who does an amazing job in mm-hmm. this movie. He's so good, I think. I was I asked my wife, I was like, why was he not a bigger star? Right. Right? Like he
0: had this movie, he's really good. When he jumps into Fort Wagner, I was like, God, put him on a pirate ship for yeah, crying right. out
1: loud, man. That's what I, I would watch the <laughs> shit out of that. Right. He's too yeah, old right. now. Um So like they have their little conversation and, and he's like keeping it quiet the whole time while the racism is thrown on the other guy. And he's like, can you imagine this happening? Like how much uproar that would be. And then Shaw's like, I'm going to do it. And apparently what happened is he did not want to do it. And it was his mom that really like badgered him into doing it because she again was the devoted abolitionist and the historians in the documentary. There was like two or three of them that made the same conclusion that it was like kind of his like desire to keep her happy because that was a true desire. Like he really did love his mom and care for her well being that made him do it it was a huge risk like he was in the shit before this like he was fighting battles and wounded in battles and things like that but becoming colonel of the first black regiment that's gonna like see i mean they make very clear what the confederacy said and did he's so young right yeah he's like 23
0: he's uh, yeah that's insane that's like fresh first lieutenant this movie makes nepotism feel great doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: it's that's it's
0: always wild to me when i watch movies that are like this where it shows just ranks being kind of i mean not kind of bot and and whatever like you could just put together a bunch of dudes and declare yourself a colonel or that's a general or how something and
1: cold mountain does a great job of rendering this thing called the home guard which was just This self-anointed group of violent white people that would go around doing whatever they thought they could do and call it the law because everyone else is either off at war or dead from that war. And in this movie, you see it like a governor could just be like, oh, I'm going to bankroll a regiment. (laughs) Yep, there you go. and You have your regiment now and off they go to fight. Right. I mean, we're, uh, it's kind of a bummer to
0: even like bring this up, but it's like, you know, it, it seems such like such a foreign idea. But then just recently in the news, there was like that dude who was bankrolling National yes. Guard unit to go down to the border, right? Yes.
1: <laughs> what's right. up with that? Well, <laughs> part of what's up with that is that America has a legacy of settler colonialism, which is intricately like connected with this notion of an empire. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow um it's weird though to me to see this movie is so perfect of an example of how good that can be made to feel when we tell it as quote important history right because this movie mm-hmm. doesn't ask you because questions. you have to kind of read between the right. lines to ask those questions
0: <laughs> right and this one sadly it requires you to read like so far in between the lines like it sucks that that those people are, are changed the way they are. And then you don't get to see the actual true heroism. And so then what is the point of saying based on a true story or these are, this is a true story mm-hmm. or, you know, when does it stop being voyeuristic and or apologetic for, for stuff, you know, and why do you need to be apologetic if nobody was fucking there? And alive, You know, it's like even with the money, goddamn, like I just wish that it would be it would be so interesting. Let's see the movie from his mom's
1: point of view. <laughs> my stupid <laughs> son is. <laughs> oh, God, my racist son. How do I write
0: back to him? And she's moving like chess pieces on a chessboard, you know, the whole time. And then reading in horror as she gets like the news that her son's dead.
1: Well, and it's, again, it's, it's worth mentioning that this movie is, you, you made the joke, like the best supporting actress didn't go to his mom. Like, women have no place in this movie, even though his mom definitely could have and definitely should have. And just the, t- the reason I read that article's title is because one of my favorite things about academia is they put a lot in the title. They call it Frederick Douglass, the absent presence in glory. He has exactly one line in this Douglas, movie. We will offer pride and dignity to those who have known only degradation. Frederick Douglass is an amazing individual with an incredible legacy. He went to Europe to like start these um, regiments and things like that. Like uh, his path. He needs a biopic. But anyway, um, he has one line and it's like, we will serve with dignity and valor. And that's it. And the rest of it is. It would have been
0: neat to see him uh, to to see him working with um, Shah's mom. In getting the unit put together and it's like we're gonna need somebody to do it and then she volunteers her son in a scene <laughs> that that mirrors then him <laughs> volunteering the unit at the
1: end there's a whole version of this where they're trying to figure out how to get their son to die a hero because they just can't stand <laughs> him <laughs> because she's
0: shooting up the uh the political the the political ladder and what she needs is a dead hero yeah, son you see how we can just arrive
1: doing. at hating women even without excluding them isn't that amazing <laughs> we will just cast them as the villain if we don't leave them out. Good work. All right. Um, oh, we're terrible. Um, um, go ahead. So where do we go here? So now we go to the –
0: we're going to go to the – to Camp Life. Yeah. We're going to go to Camp Life and basic training, essentially. Yeah. I forgot kind of about all of this Well, you,
1: you you said that this movie is really, really long, and uh, you talked about how the conversation with Frederick Douglass is what, like, pointed that out. And I thought when I was watching it, it's because they show you a lot of the, like, making of a soldier.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get into the actual combat to like an hour 17 or something like that. Antietam is like Like five minutes in. in Yeah. The second battle's like an hour 17.
1: Yeah. They give it to you right away because they know they're going to make, unlike the thin red line, they can't afford to make you wait. So they're going to show it to you right (laughs) away. What did you think about all that? As someone who's like actually Um, been through all of that? Like, what did you think about? I mean, it's your prototypical like boot camp
0: it's your prototypical boot camp and i'm going to be interested to talk about i'm i'm going to make an argument that that our, i'm going to make an argument that maybe our next grouping is include full metal jacket and last samurai why is that because then full metal jacket gives us another stanley kubrick war mm-hmm. movie and Last Samurai is going to give us another Ed Zwick war movie mm. that has to deal with a guy, a guy suffering from PTSD mm-hmm. who goes and I guess like, you know, helps indigenous people in Japan. And... Um, and also, there, you're going to see like shot for shot scenes that that are going to be. Have
1: you not seen Last Samurai? I I tried to watch it, but I just thought it was p- preposterous and terrible. And I have a kind of love hate relationship with Tom Cruise.
0: He probably sucks in person, but God, I love to watch his movies. He's the, in a the, lot the, of
1: great movies. Lo- love hate is the term. He he possibly. <laughs> I,
0: I think what happened is that he put everything into Born on the Fourth of July didn't win an Oscar,
1: lost his mind.
0: <laughs> um, but, but you're going to see, yeah, you're going to see with this, with this, with Glory being a movie that you love, I think watching Last Samurai in the next couple of weeks here, you're going to see a lot of surprising parallels because I was watching and I was like, oh, there is an Irish drill sergeant. There is, there is a scene where cavalry attacks guys through a smoky woods area. And then it breaks down into hand-to-hand combat, but it plays out differently between the two. Like it's like scene for it's like, you know how people talk shit on 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 um, Jerry Bruckheimer for or Michael Bay for showing like he'll use the same shots. He's like, oh man, it'd be really neat to follow a bomb from <laughs> the belly of an airplane down into a ship. That'd be a crazy shot. And then like right. in a later movie, he's like. I mean, why waste it on just that movie? It'd be cool to see it in this situation too. And so he shows like the exact same shot again. It's kind of like the same. So why do we shit on on Michael Bay and not on not Ed Zwick? Or maybe we do. Maybe when we watch it, it's like it sucks. Or maybe you still aren't interested in, in the movie. But that's also a movie that kind of portrays a historical situation. It's like the Battle of Shiroyama in, in Japan. But it mm-hmm. also it makes so many... You're going to go nuts researching this. It has so many changes to the historical story. And it's like, why make those changes? Mm -hmm. Why do any of that? Mm -hmm. And so like back to, back to glory, you know, it's like we have these, it's like he's trying things out before he tries them out in a different later on movie. So that's what I saw with the, with the drill sergeant. But also, I mean, it immediately popped out of my head with the drill sergeant. And then later on with the other
1: fight, I was like, oh my God, right. It's an Ed Zwick movie, and it's just that... Well, you pointed out to me that he's done a lot of war movies. Like, Ed Zwick, you kind of came to this realization when you were making the list. Do you have it? And can you name some of the other ones that no, you were, like... No,
0: well, let's see. Looking yeah, at we'll when you have were- to bring up his, his
1: filmography, but the other one is Legends of the Fall. Like, do we not consider that to yeah. be... Yeah, I was going to add... We, we never really came up with that one on whether it was a war movie or not, but, it plays but um, such um, a I was going to use that as a... That. Yeah, right? And how does... I he- mean, it's a huge part. right.
0: I mean we're I think it's we're gonna tr- eventually yeah, we're gonna eventually gonna have to watch that. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. No, it I mean it, it's a rabbit trail, but I did I thought of it when I was chewing on our conversation from Paths of Glory about beauty and how the you know, it, it it like that that Legends of the Fall moment doesn't really glorify war at all. If anything it does the opposite. But again I found myself as a kid pretending to be Tristan running through the forest to save, you know, Samuel as hopeless and stupid as it was it just made it look like there's literally the war movie with brad pitt doing that and it's like right there right. And that was the comparative we right made, and you're you know? from so.
0: montana so it's like well obviously it just worked I, i'm just gonna just i'm gonna uncork the montana <laughs> and i'm gonna ride back into camp <laughs> but with a bunch of scalps exactly. on my f and then. yeah legends <laughs> of the fall and the year after or two years after that he does courage under fire with mm-hmm. um with meg ryan which is the gulf war movie Oh, also with Denzel. Right. Oh man, I kind right. of can't wait to last see Last Samurai. The Glory. Siege, which is like an this one is the Siege, is fascinating. I haven't seen it since, but this is like this is 1998, and this was is this not the movie where? Oh yeah, with Bruce Willis. This is going to be a fascinating global war on a proto global war on terror movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the Siege, and then the Last Samurai and blood diamond and defiance what he has done
1: so many war movies you know they're going to get a box office you know <laughs> that they're going to get a box office they're one of this i was thinking about this when you said it and i'm like it is it's one of the safest bets if you're going to pick a kind of movie that you're going to do and and be good at like a war movie would be a smart bet because they're constant. Right. They're fairly predictable. Right.
0: Legends of the Fall is about is about a guy who, you know, goes through World War 1 and all these people dealing with like kind of the post-traumatic stress of it. Or at least Brad Pitt's character right. is dealing with the post-traumatic right. stress arc, of it. Right? And Courage Under Fire, you're dealing with a lot of people going through PTSD from this experience. And it's it's yeah. it's very that's pretty interesting. The siege i haven't seen in so long i couldn't tell you but in the last samurai tom cruise is again a veteran dealing with ptsd from his involvement in i think the indian wars or something
1: it'd be interesting to look at edswick and ptsd and just put these films together and just look at him for just that one particular angle and be like what's his his, fascin- what's his, lines, right, his, his
0: fascination
1: with i think this the journey of becoming a soldier um right. well that and and that was one of the big questions i wanted to ask is it's like what is a soldier made of and, meaningless and, and inhuman work right according to the quote yeah <laughs> there you go that about right? right is that
0: is that the is that the the recruits to the to the regiment shah is looking at them and he's like oh they're well suited for this right and it must only be because of the meaningless and inhuman work that they've been put up yep. to and does that also then equate being in the military as meaningless and inhuman human work. Yeah. Is it one of those conservative cell phones?
1: Yeah. That has snuck in. There's always, I feel like there's always that thing from the officers looking down on the men for their um, willingness to object themselves to this. There's lots of poetry written from like officer perspectives that are like, God bless these men for putting up with these situations or whatever. And I feel like you just don't really hear the same kind of poetry coming from the men that are actually in those situations. <laughs> that's right. Like, Wait. uh, it makes me think of the band of brothers scene where it's like, doesn't this forest kind of make you think of best And He's like, well, the trees aren't fucking exploding, <laughs> but like oh, right. the one between hoggle and Jared <laughs> Yeah, Hoggle and Jared, that's an inside <laughs> joke that no one's going to get, but that hopefully someone does and makes that movie just the best <laughs> like universe crossover <laughs> ever. Labyrinth band of brothers. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> Um,
0: so um the confederate proclamation um death sentenced to everybody yeah and we have the uh setup for a nice inspiring moment
1: yeah which is when everyone right. comes around and they say the name of the movie glory hallelujah Right. Like even, <laughs> right. Even in the face of all of that, like everyone. And again, that is that sacrifice. That's what a soldier is made of Charles. To me, it's like, yes, the inhuman demeaning work, but, but, but this is all just the same language for like sacrifice. You're just going to take yourself out of the equation and you will gain glory. Like the, the movie is named glory and it is such a powerful name for this movie. I feel like, you know, like, The fact that it wasn't taken, kudos to movie makers in the 80s. Again, I said the same thing with Alien. They're sitting around in 1979 and like, has anyone made a movie called Alien? No, they have not because it's 1979. So we can do it. And Gloria, it's just sitting there and they take it and they put it on this movie. And it is, it's all about just running into the slaughter. And I wanted to ask about the last samurai, because what I do remember from that movie was that last battle scene. And it I think it probably does look a lot like the the Wagner charge, which is one of the most iconic moments of this movie, I feel. Like. Again and again and again and again, shots from that wagon. It's
0: trope. a legendary, historic last stand,
1: right? That for some
0: reason has been changed a little bit. It
1: just yeah. We talked about the, those the rhetoric of the last stand as one of the primary primary tropes in, in war movies, and this flips it. it. It's their last stand, but they're charging the fort. It's so fascinating that that the movie puts them in the same circumstance, but gives them the agency, but it doesn't give them any agency. Like they're going, they're going. There's, there's not a it lot of, agency. Been
0: int- oh, man. could you imagine? And maybe this is being reductive of reductive of me, but how fucking awesome would it have been to see the movie entirely from the point of view of the enlisted? And then the whole movie, they're treated like shit by racist people that are around them. And then at the end, it's like, here's your opportunity to take it all out on these guys who absolutely, totally deserve it. Right.
1: Well, and that is, I mean, all the historians in that documentary mentioned it. I do think you get it in some of the letters in terms of like what I've heard. That's a huge part of this equation. Like, think about this. Think about what it means to have just abject enslavement of human beings as an industry, as an industry. And now there's a war that is at least tangentially about that from the standpoint of the Union. There is a, a small but, but consistently measurable percentage of abolitionists and then Lincoln and all the other like Unionites. Like, but now suddenly you get the opportunity to fight that war. And this is coming almost verbatim from one of the historians from the documentary. It's like your whole family is telling you to go fight. Every fiber of your being is telling you. They have way more at stake than any white person. in the, Like, you know, like people will do all sorts of things for flags, Charles, and they'll do all sorts of things for glory. But if your family and your life, your own existence is on the line, you're going to fight pretty damn hard. And and you saw that in the 54th, because, again, it was like this, this symbolic regiment from the very beginning and and they knew that and I feel like kind of like you're saying if they cut just one layer down and made Shaw just another kind of like 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 you know prillish schoolboy in charge of the whole show because his dad's a governor and he got hit by shrapnel that one time like you know That would be just fucking fascinating to be like, here they are tokenized. People would come out to watch them march and they had to march perfect. Yet another example, the article points out, of where black people have to outperform white people to get even a basic level of acknowledgement. That is a far more interesting movie, but it's not nearly as romantic. And I think from Ed Zwick and one person we've talked a lot about, James Horner, like romanticism is their thing. You know, it's it's about. It's about like the epic. I think an epic is a good word for it. An epic is not really, I mean, sometimes an epic is going to be built to make you think hard thoughts about like whiteness and settler colonialism, but typically it's like, and there were thousands of bodies on the field. And you know, (laughs) like, I don't know. The battle of Fort Wagner is just absolutely incredible. We talked about how on July 16th, 1863, the 54th saw action. Um, during like the time that they were there, they were told that they would only get $13 a month. Many of the people, it took them 18 months to get full pay. And, um, it, a lot of people did not live that long because they fought at these two places. And so like Colonel Shaw himself did not accept any pay because he was killed before Lincoln decided to fix it. Um,
0: by Grabthar's hammer.
1: What a savings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, just hours after the battle of James. And I told you before we hit record, like we talked last episode about how, if you piss off the higher ups, they're going to send you to the front. And that's exactly what happens at the end of paths of glory, where the guy denies the promotion. So what happens in the very next scene? Oh, just by the way, you're heading back to the front. So enjoy your night on the town. Um, So he goes and tells the dude that he wants to fight. So they get put into a position where they are ambushed by a superior Confederate force. And then two days later, um they are sent on a 48 hour trip the the general strong at the end is like colonel Shaw you you and your men you haven't slept for 2 days This is because they are marching without food, sleep, or rest across narrow causeways, little footpaths, and bridges on their feet almost constantly, rained on heavily the entire time in wool uniforms and 90 degree weather. They have limited visibility on the move. Uh, The next night, when they go to get on that steamer, they don't have anything but like little canoes and rowboats to get all the dudes out there. And you and I talked last time about like how dangerous the army is for just little things like get on the boat, how like a bunch (laughs) of people can just get crushed and killed just trying to accomplish that mission objective right like so they're going through all of this including hours of just waiting on the beach in the rain they arrive on morris island the documentary says wet worn bone weary it's six at night since noon 41 union guns and mortars and nearly a dozen warships had hurled nine thousand shells into fort wagner they say it was probably the most intensive artillery barrage of the civil war which again is saying something look up vicksburg but it did little to weaken Wagner. The thin red line, yeah, but it bucks the men up. (laughs) Built of quartz, sand, and palmetto palms, and with a bomb-proof shelter, the fort was well-constructed. The Union thought there were 300 rebels inside. In truth, there were 1,200 rested, well-fed rebels. And when the attack came, the soldiers had the high ground. They had plenty of cannon and ammunition. The slope of the fort was such that they could light the fuse on cannonballs and roll them down the hill into the troops amassed, Uh, Lewis Douglas said that artillery was blowing holes 20 feet wide in the Union uh, formation because they had to bunch together to get through the marsh like they describe. It is, uh, again, they should not have even reached the parapet. They should not have even made it that far. And Apparently, Colonel Shaw, um, when people started to falter, it was right when that first salvo hit them, right when they hit the bottleneck between the beach and the marsh Mm that he hit with the first salvo. And the historian says, these troops have never seen anything like that in their lives. And they start to buckle. And that's when Shaw says, you know, follow me. Let's go follow me. And they all follow him. And then uh, they get all the way up to the top of that 30 foot sand embankment, which if you've ever tried to climb a pile of sand, not easy. Um, you know, let alone when you're getting shot at
0: you lose your sneakers in it. Uh, it sucks, yeah, right?
1: That's where he gets shot. Uh, and, uh, his sword turned up in 2017 in someone's attic. That was another little no. thing that I found. Yeah. There's a really cool NPR article about how they found a bunch of swords and one of them looked fancy. Wow. And it is Could Robert Shaw's saber built in England that he carried with him up that hill so holy crap yeah i kind of want to go see it in a museum and it it is it's a fetishized artifact but again with all of the context and all of the nuance i really don't care i just think history is so amazing i get so one of the things about the civil war that i've always said is like i understand fiction how can you not think this is incredible like you said if you like lord of the rings and you like that big battle like you should learn about this because this actually happened this is something that people did and uh, the first Medal of Honor winner, we said, saw the... I want to read this to you, Charles, because this is American romanticism, like 5,000. William Carney, the first black soldier to earn the Medal of Honor. At Fort Wagner, it was Kearney who saved the flag... Shaw was dead. The 54th was fighting hand-to-hand combat in the dark. In the moat, Carney saw a color bearer go down. He grabbed the flag, held it close, and began to slowly make his way to the parapet. Carney took three hits, one very serious wound in the shoulder and 2 one to each leg, and yet he never dropped the flag. He made it to the parapet, and only then was he forced to retreat on his knees. He was using one hand to staunch the wound in his breast, shoulder, and his other hand was holding the flagstaff. If he did nothing else, that flag had to be put on the top of the parapet. It was that important. It would signify that these men had not died in vain, and he knew that, and just before he fainted, he said to his amazed comrades, according to one historian, I but did my duty, boys. The dear old flag never touched the ground.
0: I don't wonder if he really said that. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: I, I I don't I mean, I'm not a soldier, Charles, but um I know a little bit about war movies from what I've watched, and they're all like, no, they just lie all the time and make up all sorts of stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe, but
0: I mean maybe he said the gist of that, but
1: It's just so weird to me that putting the flag up there. I mean, I get it. Like I am a critical rhetorician and I studied the meaning of symbols and flags. I totally understand what it means to put your flag up there when no one else thought that was possible for a black regiment in the face of it doesn't validate anything. They all got slaughtered. The fort never fell like it created a mythos of a regiment that never existed as told by the movie Glory, that's like the only version of this that people turn to, and many of the documentaries that um, are out there, including the one that I just watched, like feature that movie prominently.
0: It didn't cure racism. No, you know? <laughs> Wait, it, 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 it the did? guys, the guys didn't come back. The news didn't come back, and people said, "Oh, great, yeah. we were wrong. Actually, it yeah. turns out that they were great. It seems like the only effect they have is on the people that." immediately witnessed it right but Do those people stand up for them when they go back or do they just go right back into the fold with everybody else and well, never raise their voice and like Shaw?
1: and we are still sitting here dwelling on the legacy it had for storytelling right for like telling a, a particular version of what this country is and and what people fight for and there's no one person in charge of that version but it serves a lot of shared interests and that's like that's what they really accomplished is they became that chapter in the book and the heroes of this movie. And um I'm kind of torn on how valuable that success is like, yeah, I want to see equality and things like that, but they're still segregating people in world war two in like Vietnam. Like there's uh, you know, newsflash, a lot of racism in the U S military right now. That just takes a quick little Google search of some of the investigations going on right now by the United States Congress um like the whole point like you said the whole point of this movie is that they get to put on that uniform and charge up that hill and I'm like I don't know that that's good
0: <laughs> right because is is there not a version where maybe where there there's like a, an interesting version that maybe doesn't tell the true historical story because it's because it spares their lives where where the entire time Shaw is a haunted man and does everything he can to get his men out of combat. Right. And he's like Sergeant Bilko and he like, like finagles behind the scenes and stuff like that in order to keep his men doing everything he can to keep his men out of the absolute horror of war. And then people just keep feeding white units into the, um, into Fort Wagner, And, and it's fine because it's their turn. Right. But, but I guess the thing is, is that did the people, did the enlisted guys in that unit, did like Frederick Douglass's kids, did they believe it?
1: That's why the letters are so interesting to me. And that's why as soon as I saw some of these, I'm like, there has to be an anthology out there or something, you know, it's been such a... Huge part of our mythos, so far as I can tell, quick like one hour look. There's not, there is a web page that has a bunch of their letters collected, and the takeaway from some of the folks from that you know American Experience episode was like, again, it was a huge symbolic move. This country has always been about soldiering; it's always been about that all the way back to the Revolution. I wanted to mention that, um, that at the beginning of the movie Shaw says like, just like the old fellows did in the revolution, right? Like that, that this, he's like, like calling back to that same fight for freedom, fight to secure the American way of life, right? Like that's what we're all about. And I sent you this in a, in a text, Charles. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to listen to it, but the, the, the version at the end of the documentary is amazing. The one I sent you is interesting, but less good. It's that it's a version of a marching song. Um, raise up the flag is what it's based on. That's a very famous like song, this one's called Give Us a Flag, and it's the one that was either based on or sung by the 54th Massachusetts, and it goes, Oh, give us a flag, all free without a slave. We'll fight to defend it as our fathers did so brave. The gallant Company A will make the rebels dance and we'll stand by the Union if we only have a chance. give us a flag, all free without a slave. We'll fight to defend it as our fathers did so brave and it's like that is what inclusion means and a big part of this interest for me is that it is only recently and a product very much of my education no one book but a great many that it's like that's what america is all about america is all about being a soldier and it's all about killing and fighting and sacrificing yourself because you'll be a hero so that we can manifest destiny and universalize the world through American values. And if you can believe that it is just like the good stuff, like freedom, justice and you know, liberty for all, then I guess you can get behind that project. But if you are at least the teensy bit clear eyed about the oligarchy that the United States is and was and has been. Right. Like, I mean, the people write in the Constitution in the Declaration of Independence, they're not the people. Thank you, Howard Zinn. Right. It's like the oligarchy. That's all that America's right. ever been. And so that's right. what we are. And this is how we do it. Is by telling ourselves these these stories and we're gonna watch more. And and one of the things you said is it's like paths of glory is gonna stand out. It's gonna stand out. And I, I think it does. I really do. I think it does in, in a lot of ways but it also kind of participates in that was kind of my point. I don't want to dig all that shit up again, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just going to tinkle that in there at the end to see if but you bite. How,
0: <laughs> how do you, um, I was wondering what you thought about, about basic training stuff. This is the first time we've seen it in a movie, yeah. but we're going to probably see it a bunch. How do you feel about the treatment of Andre Brower's character and stuff? The cruelty of basic training.
1: I did a bit of a deep dive two years in a row. When I write my syllabi, I have to sit down for 40 hours at a time per class to write a syllabus. That's a lot. And, um, mm-hmm. one year, all I did instead of watching my normal movies was watched a bunch of YouTube videos about basic training and what happens if you want to join the Marines or the Navy or the army or, or the seals. I watched a bunch of those buds classes, ones about being a seal. Fun. And, um, it's very obvious that cruelty is a huge part of the point. And I think that it became very clear to me when I watched those and definitely in this scene that it's like they're they are trying to drive the human out of you. Like you cannot be an individual as far as they're concerned. They make you a number, they make you say things like this recruit because you're not a person. You're just a digit and that's it. And and that's one of the big things that they have to change about your understanding. And they call it unit cohesion and they call it discipline and all of those kinds of things. But really what it is, is just dehumanizing you and trying to make you stop thinking for yourself and start thinking like they want you to. And I think that was a really good example of it. And I think that there's definitely a voice in the conversation that can be sustained that is like, this dude is going to war. And if he is not taught this lesson, again, he's so dumb he's so dumb he's read all of his fancy books but he's so dumb like if he's not taught this lesson he's gonna die right like okay and so they're like looking out for him and they're doing what's in his best interest i want both of those i want all of that it, it can't i refuse to apologize for war as an inevitability or a necessity i think it's neither unless we insist i mean if they which which we will they insist (laughs) then i'll do it (laughs) well they will i mean and that's what they do is they insist they insist they insist if you can you know learn to decipher the vocabulary of people selling you shit then suddenly it's harder for them to sell it to you and this is what critics call a critical consciousness and that's why i teach the classes i teach And a lot of people are like, you ruin movies for me because I see how suddenly they're all sexist, racist, and you don't even need the education to do that. You grow up a little. You've said, you look back and you're like, oh, this movie is really bad. A lot of people say they see this, you know? And for me, I think that war gets and violence, especially in American culture, and this is well-documented, it is not just given a pass. It is lionized. It is fetishized. It is just completely celebrated. And that, at the very least, is unconscionable. Like, unconscionable. There, there's a version of this where we sit here and talk about how horrible this movie is because of how beautiful it makes war. Like, I don't it know. It
0: makes it. It makes it seem like. I mean, it makes it seem the guy. It's just. It would be. It would almost be different if the same story couldn't be told again and with the buffalo soldiers or again in world war one or in the philippines or just over and over and over and over again it, like that's the that's the problem with it is that it makes it seem like wow see see what they did and the, and once people saw what they were willing to do for this country then they were accepted and it's like no they never were and never from the beginning. And the only people whose names are remembered are the rich people who bought their ranks. You or know? this so, version
1: of who you were.
0: Right. Right. And so it's so it's complicated. But at the same time, it's like a lot of these people did they don't they weren't from the future. They don't know this. And maybe they really did see that. Or maybe I mean, God, I'm just like really fascinated by the by another version of this which uh, which we will eventually get into here um let's see what else i have here so do you feel like shaw is justified then in his treatment of a base of him and mulcahy what do you feel about any of that
1: the i mean shaw and searles both have to learn let him grow up some more like to me i'm like welcome to the army dude this is this. Yeah. Is, I, I tell Shaw the same thing I told the dude about the court martial language last time. I'm like, You're in the army, man. What do you, what's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> you want to do what? That we don't do that here. <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: felt kind of the same way where it was like, No, nah, man, you guys got to learn how to march. You got to learn. You don't get to talk to me like that. You're a private.
1: Yeah. There's, if, you if, know, if, if that, if but that was yeah. bad, if that cost Searle his life. If that cost Searle his life, if he wasn't wounded and then survived and then charged Fort Wagner and we never see him die, so we don't ever know, like, odds are good he died, but maybe not. Like, you know, it's like, once again, there it is. His story gets left open-ended. Like, that to me is like, well, you got to learn. I mean, a huge part of that language comes from the patriarchy, comes from, like, that Protestant, like, work ethic. You get it? I mean,
0: it's particularly, like... It's particularly egregious. I feel like in this movie because ranks truly are bought. Yeah, you know, there's that scene where where Shaw's like literally on his horse and Carrie Ellis is like, "Hey, are you, <laughs> you going to get off of your down horse?" You know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the hat so, he's wearing is just extravagant, <laughs> ridiculous. Those
0: boots <laughs> with like the the huge like gauntlet or whatever on the, the protecting <laughs> his knees. Yeah, like he's he's really Curling he really looks it up. totally. Um. So it's. The the split between officers and enlisted in here are, is particularly interesting. Um, I think we all wish that we had a Mulcahy that had our backs for everything. <laughs>
1: Um, who's willing to just punch us across the face with a rifle, butt to teach us a lesson.
0: <laughs> and, and then Andre, I and then that character, uh, Cyril does the same thing then in the, did you notice that I when did they're fighting not,
1: Charles, but I definitely do now
0: hmm. <laughs> in Fort Wagner, he does the exact same move then on a, so on a Confederate soldier. So they
1: explicitly legitimize it. They set it yeah. up and book end it. This mm-hmm. is how you make a man. This is what a man, this is what an American man. I was
0: going to say, does the Mulan song play over the song, over over <laughs> all of this? <laughs>
1: that's a different I movie. <laughs> mean, right. I
0: mean, that's, but it I could. think a. That's a war movie, and I feel like that song maybe speaks a lot to what that mentality is. Where absolutely, but also in the Thin Red Line, right? Except in the Thin Red Line, it's more fatalist, in which you you see that that having to surrender yourself to the
1: unit is the best way that you're going to survive. And I think that it's that fatalism too that to me is a very tragic version of selling the story, but it's still selling the story.
0: Right. Well, when I I also said that, um, I mean nobody else can see this, but um. When they when they all come back after the proclamation, the Confederate proclamation, yeah, it's like, well, you know, like Lieutenant Spears said, you know, it's like if you're going to be a good soldier, you have to just accept that you're already dead, right? Yeah. And once you do that, then you can you can put yourself in those in those situations without being scared for your own right
1: well being. And but interestingly enough, it's the same thing Martin Luther King said that made him like give up on fear is just to accept that like he has his destiny. <laughs> You know, right yeah, the, the, the last so. speech he ever gave he's like longevity has its point but
0: God, what a bummer. <laughs> um i wrote down here that uh these foot wounds bum me out more than the head exploding
1: really yeah well i mean it would make yeah. sense haven't been there well but
0: it, it, no it's just the 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 whatchamacallit not even that it's just like being oh. so hiking to the point of your foot blistering up like that it was just so the sound of the boots there's that effect oh god it was it sounded like the stiffest most horrible leather to be pulling over those yep. open wounds that It was truly working. hideous mm-hmm. i said feet gore i hate it um my wife said that they got them guns before they got them boots
1: yep mm-hmm. yep
0: um <laughs> Oh, uh, we have the uh, we have the general strike scene where they don't accept any money.
1: Yep, and that happened. Um, yep. Okay. Yep, that happened.
0: Yep, and uh, Denzel
1: Washington completely right on everything that he said there. He's yes. absolutely right. Yep. It, you know what was interesting to me? Can we talk about the uh, the campfire scene the night before the charge? Because oh, yeah. that was one of the most haunting scenes in the world to me as a kid. That is the one that, yeah, that like really scared me. It's like they're gonna f- go. They're, and they're they're just sitting around singing songs and like saying prayers.
0: Um, you know, y'all's don't y'all's mm. Y'all's the only family I got. Well, yeah, family. yeah. that's family. That's all right. And uh I love the fifty
1: four again it comes down to I love the 54 and we talked about this how it's like the only thing that keeps people fighting is the guy next to him and that camaraderie and all that stuff right he's an outsider
0: ain't never had a family right
1: and, and, and now f- guess who he his family is he's like wit
0: I love Charlie company right <laughs> right it, it's the idea of it's what the, the same f- thing right yeah
1: yeah Charlie company is my people I love the 54 it's like it's a weird substitution right of the individual for the aggregate and the aggregate is the simple, and the simple is whatever the fuck we want it to be. And that's what he's fighting for, but they're all going, they're all going, they're all going. I, I mean, I, I know it's not good cinema, but somebody has got to be chickening out. Somebody has got to be trying to get the fuck out of there. Someone's got to be like, this is dumb. We should not be doing this. This is, you get it? Like, we're not going to see them because that's not the story, but that scene scares the shit out of me. And I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are about it.
0: Um, So before we went to Iraq for a long time in Kuwait, we lived in a big hole. Um, And then the night before we moved to the border, we had to fill in the hole and then we had to do certain things. Like one of them was, you know, like burning personal letters and things like that. Mm -hmm. Because if you were captured, you don't want to have, you don't want to have that sort of stuff on you. So we had this fire going and um, and around that fire, a bunch of us did a parody of that scene.
1: Yeah, there it is. Where we
0: sang the song and and everything like that, and just kind of said like little things about the platoon or whatever before we like drove our trucks off and staged on the border before going to Iraq.
1: <laughs> In real to real, Bell Hooks' book, she talks about how movie makes culture. And how movie establishes what she calls rituals of belonging and how we view difference through cinema long before we ever experience it. What's a war like? You don't know yet, but you know what you've learned up until that point. And a lot of that comes from cinema. And, you know, she talks about these rituals of belonging, these rituals of inclusion. And it's like, there, that, that's it. That's, that's one. And it came from a movie. And it's just movies. And big quotes, movies work. They do work. It's not whether they're good or bad or persuade or not this or that. It's about what they accomplish, where they fill in the the blanks of our cultural memory and our practice and behavior. That's an amazing story, Charles, that really speaks to the power of this movie. Because again, there's no questioning. There's no questioning. There's not a single person there that's like, this is all a big, it's all about money.
0: It's a bummer that we're also both... um both who we who we are the guys who the guy who started the moment was named Richardson, and he he's a black guy, and so I wonder what his connection to that movie is growing up, right, because it's like he he started kind of like the whole thing, but we all knew the moment, and we all knew the movie as young soldiers, but how important is that you know? It's like there's, there's so many movies about, about white units, I guess, or, or whatever. So here's my question. You're given a pretty good budget, and in two years, you have to put out a remake of glory. Wow. You can be like a producer Whoa. or a director, but you have like pretty much like full control over everything.
1: And They come to me and they're like, "You look like a nice, smart white guy. You should make this movie." We heard your podcast, Aaron, and <laughs> my
0: God, they had a really...
1: Yeah. Um, so,
0: so do you? I mean, you don't want to turn it down, obviously, because then that makes this not fun. I, I say
1: no, right? I don't want to, um, <laughs> but I hope I'm, if I have the courage of my convictions, <laughs> I do.
0: <laughs> right. So, so what is the what is the version of what is the version of the movie? that you make then i mean it's 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 going to have the same title so people are going to go to it
1: expecting glory it has to be about the same people right like kind of
0: yeah pretty much
1: it's such an interesting question and i think that i don't have a good example off the top of my head but a lot of the remakes are getting more critical and i think that if you take that on explicitly it can be Successful and fascinating. This isn't like I said, I don't have a good example. I feel like there are good examples. But one interesting example is the new He-Man that um, Kevin Smith has made Mm. that focuses primarily on um, She-Ra and um,
0: I've heard nothing but good things from She-Ra and it makes all the correct people angry.
1: They they kill He-Man and Skeletor in the very first episode, and at the end of the fourth episode, which are the first four that they put out, and I think there's only like seven, he's still not back yet. They're trying to get him back. Hmm. And Kevin Smith is like, Do you think Mattel would let me make a He-Man cartoon without like having He-Man in it? Like, calm down. Like there's go and there is, there's a lot of He-Man in it, but he's just not the center of the story anymore. I thought the new Ghostbusters was really good. I thought the new Ghostbusters turned it a turned lot the of those shit criti- out of it. It was so much it fun. It made nothing at the box office and mm. then they rebooted it without any of that cast. They went right back to the 80s because that is where we are and why I would never be asked to make this movie. But I feel like again when you know the tropes and conventions and you have the right writers that are committed to trying to tell a better version of it, I think you're right. We focus more on the lives of the soldiers themselves. We don't make them dim-witted and ignorant. We make them People that have come from a very unfair place in life where they're, you know, successful, hardworking people that can't vote, that can't testify in a court of law, that can't, you know, do any of that kind of stuff. And you make Shaw this, you you make him a lot like he is. I feel like Matthew Broderick, I mean, if Matthew Broderick were just a bit more like Ferris Bueller in this movie, it would be kind of on point, you know? Like, I never really seen Ferris Bueller before I saw this movie. So when I saw Ferris Bueller, I'm like, that's the guy from Glory. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. You know? So, I mean, it's like. It cannot just dwell on the white apologetic. You know, it, it can't. And, it, and and I think it would have to be evocative of stuff that's going on right now. I think it would have to speak very directly to our present moment. Because one of the things I keep saying is this has not ended. Like the South will rise again. That is a promise. They're still here. You know, it's like it's still going on. What do you think? What would you do? Um. It's it's tough. I mean, I because
0: I don't know too much about the story, or at least not the way that you do. I didn't I didn't do the deep dive, um, yeah. but I was thinking about it. You know, it is interesting the idea of doing it from Denzel's point of view yeah. for his character. But it's almost. I mean, it does it fall into the fury trope? Is my question. If you do it mm. from from Cyril's point of view, mm. you know, like he's like the guy who's not a soldier. Is that the person that the audience would would identify with? is the guy who's not really cut out to be a soldier, but believes in the cause. Is that how you get the DOD money? Yeah. Um, and, and then you see him all the, go all the way up on the thing. And then, I mean, but it's like the other guy's like actual true medal of honor story. It's like, do you also just give you an hour of the most absolutely awful, combat footage and just relish in every dead confederate
1: i mean if if you're arcing it with the same time frame there's really only two opportunities for battle unless you include some of shaw's backstory right like Mm -hmm. or some of the backstory of some of the other folks Um, does
0: it matter at all for for people to understand what's even going on in the larger scheme of the battle like Is there a way to become so dedicated to showing to being true to it that you
1: sort of like lose the point? It's risky with a Civil War movie, I think, to do that. I think we're so good at talking around the problem with that war in particular with World War II. It's like, well, until recently, it's like, you know, fuck Nazis. Everybody hates a Nazi, you know, but but the Confederacy has never been given that position weirdly in this country. And um. That limits our storytelling unless you're just going to completely alienate half the audience, which is something that I would advise. I'd be like, yeah, you have to do that.
0: Right. Right. No, that would be that would be. I I mean, I would have to just I would have to stand back as a as a producer, I suppose, because it's it's not it's not my story to tell. Well, and that's why I was thinking, too. I wanted
1: to jump in again.
0: It's like you would have to put a you know a black director in there, you know, find Absolutely. somebody Writers. fresh and new,
1: yeah, um
0: that that could bring a a fresh perspective to to a story that hasn't been told. like we ha- we got what white people will tell you Shah's story was, but I want to hear kind of like a i want to hear from the class of people i'm I am legitimately curious if there was people that signed up for it specifically because you got to kill a demographic of people that absolutely. had brutalized
1: right absolutely like that
0: and and that would be really interesting to me yeah. and i think that me the too. whole movie you would get on i mean sadly you would get on their side you know and you I would agree. right um
1: i like so, i feel like yeah. jordan peel would be the person to do it right that's the person they ought to get would be that person right Um, because i got like get out vibes whenever you were whenever you
0: were in a situation where it was like a fancy white ball
1: i think i mean i feel like it would have to be a kind of a horror movie like wouldn't that be an interesting angle on it instead of making it like an epic make it like a and and but but don't make it like you're kind of like again get out is not a conventional horror movie in any sense of the word right like it's Mm -hmm. it's a thriller more than a horror movie but i don't know anyway the point is just that like the, the the letters i think are interesting like by 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 rooting it in the narrative of the soldiers themselves you give a lot of that storytelling power back to the people themselves and the mm-hmm. fact that there are these letters um and we have talked about how the thin red line tells the story and how i love the fact that there's no central character and often the voice is not you know connected to the person on screen and we don't really know who's talking a lot of times like that kind of like when we separate it out from an individual and just give people their voices and their presence within the story, you can work around some of these problems. But yeah, that's why at the very beginning I was like, I would hope I would say no. If I have the courage of my convictions, I would say no, because I I mean, I'm a horrible person to tell this story. I'm so infatuated with it. And my positionality as a white dude from Montana. Like I have no foothold, you know, I am purely educated by like glory and Ken Burns. And then like the last 10 years of critical work that I've done to try to unlearn a bunch of racism and shit that I still have to work on, you know, like it would be one of those instances where if you wanted to remake it, they would have to get like, you know, who's the, <laughs> get Ed's wick? <laughs> That's Hollywood. He's still here. They just, you know, they they they'd get <laughs> Peter Jackson or they, you know, like they, they would, they'd get Peter Jackson and they'd make it like the fucking Hobbit. That's how it would get made. Unfortunately, or it would look like wonder woman or something like that, where it's trying to push back into the thing, but ultimately capitulating on all the grander scales. And here too, I think it's worth emphasizing your point that when it comes to Kubrick, he does a pretty good job of bucking a lot of those conventions. Although where he ends up is, you know, it's got its own problems in a lot of ways, but it's a fun question and it's one I'd never thought of. I told Kate the other day, they're going to remake back to the future and I know they've tried to do it and it's probably going to happen, but can you remake glory? Can, they, they talked about we remaking the princess bride and the, the fan community was like, Nope.
0: I mean, I would love to, I would love to see it get, get the band of brothers treatment. Yeah. Make it a series from, from the correct from the correct people to tell the story
1: yeah i mean hbo has the platforms the money and everything that they could potentially again there's no way to do it quote right but the better version would be amazing and you know well my lamentations of just the complete lack of good civil war cinema like that's like and it's just bizarre to me. and again it's not if you understand the white supremacy in america and how we don't want to touch it but
0: right let's talk about that just for a quick thing is that yeah? Is that why there's not only not a lot of Civil War movies, but very few Union Civil War movies? Am I correct in saying that? Like
1: what? Yeah, no. Yes, I mean the, the 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 big ones for me for the Civil War are gonna be Gone with the Wind, eh, Glory, Union movie, uh, Gettysburg gods and generals now those yeah, you're doing the the leveling with your hands but i mean Mm -hmm. there's great stuff on youtube that says this pretty well but just as someone who again studies this for a living it's just a crass apologetic for the south it is a crass apologetic for the South. which one both of them Uh, both of them the whole series if you read the books they're way smarter killer angels and all of that like those books are are interesting and i'd love to go back and read them again Mm -hmm. that'd be another war series i would read again but um and then Cold Mountain, and that's about the Confederates. That's the Confederates, and I, yeah. And it's a good point, Charles, and it makes me want to do the cut because again, my my prior was we don't touch it because you can't piss off the secesh. They're still here, mm. and, and we can't piss them off, and so we we can't. I mean, if Black Panther showed Hollywood anything, right? But that like... but that was but that was Disney making a superhero movie, though
0: god could you imagine disney making an absolutely brutal civil war movie i
1: mean they own aliens so they have all the you know they can make a brutal war film but i don't i mean i don't want disney making a civil war movie that to me is catastrophic and 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 in part because my guess is it would be amazing but 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 it would be amazing in all the wrong ways you know and it would be so hard to un like kind of like with this movie how it was really hard to kind of unpack like how well they conceal Shaw and all the racism and stuff like that's what I always say about Disney everyone's like why do you hate Disney and I'm like one of the things I hate the most about Disney is how delicious they are like I they make great movies and that's why they make so much money it's the politics Mm -hmm. that come with the shortcuts that they take and every film is going to need to take them. Colonel Shaw has to go from wondering whether he's going to take it to taking it in a very short period of time but we don't have to make him be like I'm gonna do it you know like he's there you know
0: yeah (laughs) It would have been better to see it from, to see him from a distance. If like the quarter, you could still do scenes like the quartermaster, but just have him, just have it from the point of view of guys standing outside as racket goes on inside and then have him come back out. You know, like that could, that you could still have scenes like that that humanize him in moments. You could portray him realistically as a guy that might be racist even though he might not even understand it, but is loyal to his men.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: You know, like it's, well, you know, I don't know. I haven't read his letters, but it's like, there's still ways to do it because overall who fucking cares because nobody's alive anymore from around that. And so it's just better to just make it real or show people, I don't know. There's a value to showing like, and I think that you, I think you should leave. That
1: showing that you can grow out of being a total piece of shit or just coming to terms with who we are and owning where we're at in the process of like growing Mm -hmm. or whatever. I think that you see this with Lincoln, too, and a byproduct of my infatuation with the Civil War was obviously a deep dive into Abraham Lincoln. He's one of the most well-studied presidents Mm -hmm. already, but I was just really fascinated with the dude and he is he's incredible and Team of Rivals is an amazing book. And everyone's like he was a product of his time, but he was a virulent racist. He was a virulent racist And when people say he's a product of his time, they're just whitewashing a bunch of abolitionists that existed that were persecuted for their voice. It's like those people existed. Mm -hmm. Lincoln met Frederick Douglass and it moved the needle a little, which to me sounds like a virulent racist. Like if you have to meet Frederick Douglass to move the needle, like where are you coming from? You know, (laughs) like that's not a good spot. So with. The, the, if it, it just it it speaks to the American cinema uh, cinematographic a- gaze at whiteness that when they make a movie about the fifty fourth Massachusetts, it features a young white dude who who dies sacrificially and a bunch of pretty ignorant black people, one of whom gets whipped before sacrificing himself to die face into armpit of the man that like authorized his whipping, you know, like. It can't be that my, bad. my
0: last note here was taken um, before I I kind of like just sat back and watched the the action sequence there at the mm-hmm. end. Um, but it was for the scene after he after Shaw lets his horse go. Mm. And then the scene is him walking through his men as they cheer him. Yeah. And I say I wrote here every white person's dream to be allotted for being anti-racist. Let your horse go on the
1: beach and have all the black people cheer you as you wake your way to the front. Into Mm -hmm, herodom mm -hmm. that you, I mean, I guess you you do and you don't deserve it. Like, I mean, again, as a pacifist, I'm always going to say saying you're not going to charge is the bravest thing you can possibly do. But second to that, I guess, would be what he did. And th- that's right. I'm not going to say that's not brave. Would I do that? No, I'm a coward. And that might be why I'm a pacifist. I'll own that. But <laughs> it's like, I don't know. That's, that's a great example of like that white imaginary, the, the white projection avatar, this article calls it where that's where we're going to situate the story. And none of those people, it's like, you get a little bit of worry with Searles takes like a step back and Shaw gra- like, or uh, Rollins grabs him and like helps him step forward again. There's like a, mm-hmm. but, but we're not worried about their humanity. We 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 get Shaw blinking back tears and staring at the beach, but everybody else is like, "What?" Like, <laughs> we know they're gonna die. We like they don't even really matter. Uh. And then that assault is something else. The music for that is an obviously direct rip off of "Carmina Burana" by Carl Orff, but it's so good. And you hear it it's in so lots of stuff. I've heard it in trailers. Multiple trailers have used that song. I said the music from the credits The theme, just the theme itself is a very basic, the hero horn kind of like...
0: Angelic, right? We have the angelic choir as they uh, as they march off. You know the uh, give them health. Celestial voices. That they whole call moment. That, yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. And celestial voices are reserved for sacrificial heroes. They're reserved for people on their their way to march their way up to heaven. (laughs) Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. For the greater good.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a moment in an action movie where if all of a sudden you hear those voices, the characters are looking around at each other like, Oh, this isn't good. (laughs) I hope my death will inspire a white person not to be racist. (laughs) Well, and again, there too, that the dude who says like, you know, That's like tits on a bull. That guy is the guy who says, give him hell 54 at the end. Like he gets a redemption Mm -hmm. story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They inspired even him. Yeah. The movie falls back. Even on him, the documentary ends with, because of the 54th, other black men were allowed to fight. They opened the floodgate for thousands of others to serve. Near the end of the war, there were more black soldiers in the field than the Confederacy had in their entire army. Creepy. Lincoln famously said that black soldiers were crucial to winning the war. He thought it was very doubtful that the war could have been won without the involvement and, of course, sacrifice of black troops. Lastly, there were some black troops before the 54th, and certainly there were many after but it was always this regiment that will be remembered. These were the men whose uh, flags of freedom were always flying high. And these were the men whose dreams of hope and glory will never, never die. And I'm just like, when you know the whole story, that's just creepy. It just sounds like a, it it sounds like a recruiter poster. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, because there is a version. I'm not sure if you saw Mudbound. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a movie about a guy returning from the from the tank unit, the African American tank unit in World War II, back to his you know southern southern neighborhood and being treated like an absolute piece of shit and brutalized by racist people. Right. And um, and there's that story to guys who served in that unit, you yeah. know, like in the 54th. Like there's guys who served in all of those from however long to now you know there's still black veterans who who come home that nobody sees their service right. the moment that they're that if they're not wearing a bunch of shit on them then then nobody knows or cares and even if they are veterans you know there's another there's a subset of people who just look at them at just folks that once they're done serving, like, you know, what good are you to us now? Right. You know, so it's, it's just, it's so frustrating to hear, like, it is, it's an inspiring story. Like these people, some of them, for whatever reason, they fought against a true evil, yeah. you know, like slavery is, you know, it's like, did they, you have, you've seen the letters perhaps, or you're going to see the letters and, you know, there's a... <sighs> But at the same time, it shouldn't be a recruiting video, I guess.
1: It's a tough one because it it, it recruits it in an apologetic way. Like the South gets to keep their fort and all the black people die. And that's the story of America. (laughs) Like, except, except we feel good about it. Except we get James Horner to write the score. You get it. And we get Ed Zwick to direct it. And again, I think if you get like, like, you know, someone with a critical lens, preferably not just all the, the men we know, but you know, like
0: my remaking of the movie is um, it's going to be GI samurai.
1: Yeah.
0: We're going to, what I do is, is you take a, a group from the, from whatever African-American tank world war II unit is, and you send them through the magic fog that sends you back a hundred years. And then you have them just driving their tank on their way to whatever mission <laughs> And wind up in the Civil War.
1: It was the like one (laughs) thing I loved about Time Cop is that that movie opens with a guy going back in time and just machine gunning a bunch of Confederates. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty cool moment Mm -hmm. in this movie. And again, that makes me a lousy (laughs) pacifist, but (laughs) I'll own it. I mean, like enslavement is the greatest evil and it's something that we continue to ignore and apologize for. And I think that this movie does a part of that. And the fact that it creates so much backwash to that claim is indicative of how effective it is. You know, it's like, it's that moment when people are like, it's not racist and you gotta fight with them about whether it's racist. It's the old Malcolm X hmm. line that a, a post racist is worse because you have to convince them they're racist before you even get to like solving the fucking problem. You know, the other guy's gonna stab you in the back while looking you in the eye. And so, glory is that just and, and i think that's why we love it. It, it it tears us up like this is to the core of what our culture is about and glory just hits all those notes and hopefully you can do more than just watch it and walk out and say wow what an amazing story but the movie doesn't give you anything else beyond that and most of the documentaries don't either and there's there's been a few of them really they all that's just play within it like it, it would be a movie about like like, like camp, like, like aspiring people who are pretty successful and intellectual just being belittled and then they go into a camp and then a POV of them charging and getting killed. Like you've talked about the war movie where the person just like dies pointlessly as soon as it starts and we don't get anything else and no accomplishment.
0: I mean, maybe it's just my own fetishism. But yeah, I just want to see. I want to see the charge on Fort Wagner, except there's a Sherman tank <laughs> and a dude in a cool jacket on top of it with the 50 cal, mm. and they actually take it this time. Yeah. And they tell all the guys, like, "Hey, man, we're from the future, and let me tell you what's up."
1: Yeah. With you with get to keep your lives, racism, but you should... can't have the flag anymore, or at least if you do, <laughs> you got to say sorry afterwards. And if you don't, right? Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Fort Wagner charge is going to happen
0: like 45 minutes in the movie, and yeah. then it's going to roll on for. It wouldn't even just...
1: be a hero. They would just drone strike the fort. They would just show up and just drone strike the <laughs> fort and everybody in it. And then, um, you know, they would build a Starbucks and uh, it would be staffed by a bunch of people of color who make less than they should. <laughs> I mean, again, I said it like the yeah. military continues to do this. We have continuing like evidence of poor treatment of people of color, especially women of color in the military. There's investigations going on about this right now that the military is just loath to participate in like, and it's yeah. good Lord. If you're God, God help you. If you're stationed at Fort hood, if right, if the whole point mm-hmm. is to tear the person out of the individual, then when you say I'm being harassed, abused, or, you know, like threatened to the point of abduction and murder, they they call it special treatment, which is always something the patriarchy wants to do. But the military and its like chain of command legal system just amplifies that. They're all willing to live by the myth that you don't matter, and that the only thing that matters is that chain of command and discipline and stuff like that. Right? No,
0: no, I mean there's a there's there's a point to all of it, you know. Like there is a a method to the madness, but when you I've thought about this a bunch, but I don't know if I've ever said it out loud, but you know, it's like when you, when you take the, the oath of being a soldier, you're, you're saying that I'm willing to put my life on the line and give up certain freedoms or whatever, in order to protect this that we have, but that also should come. And I feel like people forget this somehow that also that oath should come with the caveat that people outside of that system are doing everything they can to make sure that guy never has to live up to that oath. Right. And that if you do live up to it, it's for a fucking good and dire reason. And I don't know who knows what that reason is. If you can, if there's some way to avoid it, but just like you, you would think, I guess slavery, right? Like slavery would have to be one of those things.
1: Mm. But that was barely that the reason. Redo. That wasn't why we, but right. It's what caused the the civil war, but it's not why the union fought,
0: you know, stopping the Nazis, you know,
1: yeah, but that wasn't what, I guess Pearl Harbor is what brought us in.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. No, I know. I think one of the reasons I'm so
1: committed to pacifism is because I'm fairly convinced that the profitability of war makes it, makes your concerns here inevitable and makes any hope of any other system pretty naive and i don't have a good alternative like i can't fix it so i don't know
0: no i don't know but, i mean it's it's just it's it's very frustrating because because we keep constantly repeating the same the same mistakes and it's it would i you know i want to see the smedley butler movie i guess like i want to see i want to see i want to see the movie I read about this dude and there's just little to know about him, but I want to see the movie about, about black soldiers in the Philippines in the early 1900s, seeing the horrible way Filipinos are treated and realizing, Hey, this is how I'm treated back in the United States. And then defecting, defecting to the other side. You know, there's like stories of, of guys that did that, that were like, this one dude named General Fagan, who's like a, a Filipino folk hero who defected from the United States military and joined the Filipinos because of racism or the way that he.
1: Sounds kind of like Avatar. He,
0: it is. Yeah. And that's how. No, it, would it be is made, true. Right? Like, I mean, it's just like, it's just crazy that that's just how influential movies are, is that he saw Avatar and that. <laughs> and from there he
1: I don't think that's how <laughs> he, he wanted to be in a movie and they cut him out just like they cut out the Medal of Honor winner in this movie they made it and called it Avatar they're like
0: <laughs> it's like this seems great but can you make him blue because yeah. I just you, well, you we need to get the other completely the insulate in the in
1: United it. States military from any hope of critique oh yeah we'll put it on a different planet yeah, no problem <laughs> Filipinos there's are a, blue uh, now there's an <laughs> there's
0: a... yeah right and they're eight feet tall yeah um... <laughs> Give him a tail. <laughs> um, there's a there's another movie I, I would like to see we'll see it eventually i guess i'll have to dig it up but it's about like the saint patrick's battalion during the mexican american war and we just don't really see a lot about that like i never see that and those guys were like treated like horrible shit because they were irish and catholic in the united states army pre-civil war which this, which you said Shaw kind of touches on, like how that racism was right. was rampant. And then they're fighting in Mexico, and they're like, oh, we're just brutalizing other Catholics. And then right. they defected en masse and then created a battalion that fought the Americans.
1: I feel like a movie that situates you on the other side of the American military is a good one. I feel like conscientious objector movies would be good, but you don't get the epic battle scenes that everybody wants. You know, like... um. I do feel like you could situate a movie like Among Civilians. Again, I think Vicksburg could be kind of interesting because of how indiscriminate we were in just like trying to completely annihilate yeah. that town. Like if they had firebombs and atomic weaponry, they definitely would have used them. Uh, instead, they just shelled it.
0: Yeah, I want to see some Scarlet O'Hara's in a uh, in a yeah. tunnel that she dug in the uh, behind her house. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. You know, there's a lot of stories, but is it... How do you tell them without glorifying the war?
1: Well, and that's the thing is it's like the question is we, you know, do we keep making the same mistakes or are we looking for the exceptions to the rule? You know, I mean that the, the the role of the United States military from the very beginning was to protect a project of, you know, indigenous genocide and then to expand that project. And now it is basically to quote, bring freedom to the world. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people look at that as just a kind of, you know, extrapolated form of literal or cultural manifest destiny. And, so it's like, if we find the good stuff that we've done, then we're fixating on exceptions as opposed to the rule itself. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I said when we started this project, I don't want to, I, I know people, multiple people who are soldiers, and I don't want to say they're bad people, but it's like it's hard to make a, an anti-war movie or a critical war movie if you can be both a soldier and a good person at the same time. Like, personally, I feel like, the ideologies of soldiering and definitely the institutions of it just stack the deck fundamentally and if if it's an americanized version of it it has to be because that's That is who we are. Our military has all, and and again, like the the, the black experience is not the only one. Look at indigenous folks, right? And look at their relationships that they serve higher than any population per capita. And you would never really know that aside from like code talkers.
0: Right. A lot of these African American soldiers from the Civil War, you know, and those in any units that come after that are just going to be shuffled off to the West to fight Mm -hmm. natives out there you know it's like and there's
1: some real thoughtful exchanges there where you've got like formerly enslaved folks like participating in manifest destiny and it's like there's a really great book that has very little to do with this project but actually showed up because of it called othering worlds and it's written by a bunch of um blackness scholars and indigenous scholars and they're trying to conceive of a relationship between blackness and indigeneity beyond the frame that's been put on it by the united states And they use that exact exact touch point of Buffalo soldiers being used to quote, settle the West as, you know, an example where you've got two groups that are legacies of some of the most horrific moments of genocide and, you know, oppression that you can imagine. And then they're put into conflict with each other and they have to fight. And it's just like, that is who we are. That is who we are. Mm. We are not Colonel Robert Gould Shaw. We're definitely not even Rambo. Like we're, we're, you know, we're not John Wayne, like. We're, we're this machine that exists to settle the frontier <laughs> and that should expand that in ways that makes people a little unnerved
0: <laughs> and not only and and to set to settle the frontier get land and then right. sell it to some rich asshole to parcel right. off yeah, right. we're gonna like, it, that's it, the we'll other... build a
1: train through it or we'll dig a bunch of yep. oil pipelines or who knows what's next like <sighs> Good stuff, um, so, Charles.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in your remake, what do you keep? Is there anything from, from Glory that you, from the original that you keep, maybe?
1: Oh, this is a fun question. I really want to chew on it. I want a good answer. I feel like there's got to be mm. something.
0: <laughs> maybe this will be our, our kind of our bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like, then what, we what can do we... go
0: into thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, what do you do instead of the flogging scene, Aaron? You know, that was an Oscar winning moment. I know.
1: I mean, I would keep the academy award but not for the scene it was given. For. You know, like like you'd want to try to keep all of the importance of the movie, you know? You'd want to keep but you can't do that without capitulating. You know, that's I think that was what we got into. And I don't know. Well, do it's like a good you answer? have to like what would you keep? Uh,
0: I mean, I don't know. It's like you can keep a lot of it, I feel like, but you have to insert scenes of context i guess like
1: that's the hard part for me that's
0: the hard part is that you is it's it's like you can there's almost enough where you could make a movie that's from that's from a cyril or a trip's point of view you know it's like i bet they have enough footage to almost do that where you could recut it and just not show it from That'd be
1: interesting that would have been at least make a trailer right
0: right Right, where you're always seeing what's his name from from a distance or or whatever, and just very rarely interacting with him. I, you know, I liked the interactions, but I'm not
1: thinking of that I movie don't know, where know. I Rollins, don't know
0: if they're accurate.
1: That scene where just, Rollins interrupts the fight, and um, oh yeah, uh, and Cabot comes up and says, "I'm putting you up on charges," and then Rollins like interrupts that. Like that scene is so interesting. And I want, like, I want that scene, but I want Rollins to be the heel. You know, I want, I want, I want that to be a moment where it's like, like, look at blackness apologizing for white racism and letting white racism get away with it. Like those people have absolutely no justification for the way they're tweeting those soldiers, except they're quote products of their time, which is an apologetic. And. So that scene is a good one because you see very clearly that kind of deference to whiteness, but it's it, it makes him look wise. He becomes the arbiter of a tough conversation and it would need to be shot. And again, if it's shot from Tripp's perspective, who's about to fucking end this dude, you know, like I love when Tripp wants to fight Mulcahy. I think that scene is pretty interesting where Mulcahy comes up and shoves him and then mm-hmm. Rollins has to like stop Trip and be like, save it, <laughs> save it. Because like,
0: yeah, there's you know. an interesting fight.
1: Yeah, and again, you got the Irish and, and black folks thrown down on a military base. That's what America is. That's what and, and the people that, that put that base there are making a bunch of money somewhere far away. <laughs> yeah, <Oof. laughs> this is going to get heavy, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this was mm. a great episode. I think we are currently still planning on watching Band of Brothers next. Is that correct?
0: We're well, not Band of Brothers. No, we're going to watch.
1: Look what I did. Big Parade. Oh, we're going to do Big Parade next because we want to set yeah, it up. So for gonna watch, yeah, so we're going to watch.
0: Yeah, so we're going to watch. I think this is what we do. I think we're going to watch. We just did our two formative war movies. Right, right. And then let's watch the original formative war movie. Let's watch. Yeah. Let's watch Big Parade. And it's going to be tough, man. It's like two hours long at least. And it's silent. Fuck.
1: Fuck. You know yeah. what I said? I think old movies are bad. Well, I think it's interesting that we can compare these two movies and see why. Like, Glory is like a candy truck of visual effects. And Paths of Glory is like smart and incisive, but like not as, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't look. Part of me was like, I want to keep the cinematography. But again, without the context, you're just making it look beautiful, right? Oh my
0: not, God, you know, the other thing about Glory, and I'm not the person really to talk about this in, in great detail um, but it might be interesting if you could track somebody down to have your own conversation with them, but glory was beautifully photographed, yeah, like just so much definition on everybody's faces and everything like that, and that is not easy to do in a movie where you also have prominent white actors, right because in the in the development of film stock over right. this decades, yep. It's been dealing with primarily white people, yep. and so it is hard to catch the details that are that are in there. You'll see a lot of movies that just aren't quite balanced for for having mixed casts like that. And this movie, um, the cinematographer, hats off to him, like it's beautifully shot in such a way where you aren't losing any of that. You're, you're yeah. seeing everybody's faces very nicely, and not in a way that feels unnatural or on a set or anything like right. that. It it all felt pretty good. I thought it was going to age more, but it didn't. And I was it really surprised up. at how well. Yeah.
1: As a period piece it lucks out, you know, because it's always looking like 1863 no matter what year it is, but but for the battle scenes especially, like the lighting in that Fort Wagner scene, I mean, it's just incredible. And and you do you you get a lot of definition and I'm thinking, there's even like a lot of great like silhouette moments. Like, there's just all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff going on and back and forth between them. That, and you're right that that cinema, by definition, by design, has been built to exclude various complexions of non whiteness. And as mm-hmm. a result, they've had to battle that. So that's actually a pretty good point of something that's worth taking away. Is like they actually shot a movie about black people that won an Academy Award for cinematography. That's,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. that's um, so so uh, yeah. So I think our next one is going to be. Big parade, big parade. And then I think our next grouping should be, I think we should watch full metal jacket. I think it should be then last samurai. And then I think we should watch saving private Ryan. I
1: so we're going to watch kick and saving private Ryan, but yeah, no, I don't think <laughs> we, I best. don't think
0: we are because we're going to see, we're going to see like the original, we're going to see two separated by decades. Mm um Stanley Kubrick movies right. to see to see if we can find any through lines in there same and thing with with Ed Zwick. and then we're going to see the original war movie along with the definitive war movie yeah. definitive in quotes
1: yeah we we kind of agreed and i don't know that we're like going out on a limb here that saving private ryan is kind of definitive in its um position as far as like war movie imaginary goes um, and you say that a lot of it comes from the big parade. I'd never heard of this movie. I've definitely never seen it. You have seen it? Like, I have seen it. What's and your it's, why? When? Just because you were like being a movie nerd, or was it? Um, like, I'm
0: gonna have to say I wrote a um, yeah, because because I am a movie nerd, and because for for my final in film school, I tried to make a a silent. World War One movie, um, but it i can't get the funding, man. It's hard. And that's not a hustler. I just don't like it. I just don't like that aspect of it. Did you go to it the DOD? It makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> I should have, but I, I, it might be anti-war is the problem. Um, but I watched a ton of old silent movies because okay. the the other aspect of it was that I wanted to to try out some of these old cinematography special effects techniques like multiple exposures and things like that. Mm. Um, it never happened. It never happened. But in any case, I did watch the big parade because of that, along with a bunch of other things. And, um, and it was interesting when I was watching it because a lot of tropes jump out at you. And I think you're going to see these tropes in glory, not so much paths of glory. Like I was surprised when we were talking, you know, a couple weeks ago about that. Not a lot of troop like cohesion or, Mm -hmm. or friendliness toward each other in that movie. They don't, they don't sell you any of that camaraderie, but big parade does that early on big parade. If I also remember correctly has a big old title card right at the beginning, giving Mm -hmm. like special thanks to the U S military.
1: Oh good. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. So that'll be interesting. But it also, if I remember correctly, has some portrayals of, of war fatigue and things also like that so it's it'll be interesting to see what like what anti-war stuff in quotes does the industry let slip through
1: yeah you or know, is it a, how do you, they couch you, a pro-war movie without it looking too bad
0: <laughs> right you know or yeah the other question i i feel like would be um or or what I've been thinking is, is how does every war movie, how does every World War One movie read if you were to start it off with a title card that said in 1915 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was riding in his car in a parade and a man <laughs> shot him. Therefore, Jimmy in Kentucky must pick up his rifle and like...
1: Ah, <laughs> Jimmy. Jimmy comes up from the heart under the, the hood of a car or beneath a tractor and something and you know, wipes away the sweat. Not the Archduke. do you remember where you were when the archduke was shot that one that's the archduke (laughs) not one of the lesser archdukes but what um what's a soldier made of according to the big parade charles
0: um that's a good question i i don't it's been a long freaking time since i've seen yeah okay but i feel like a lot of the big parade is going to be well let me hear what what do you think it's going to be
1: grit determination humility um, pride, patriotism, explicit patriotism. Mm-hmm. I think it's World War Two. Is that right? World what, War One. Oh, what what year In was fact, this movie made?
0: This movie is a silent film, so it's from the twenties, I believe. Um, let's
1: let's look it up here. So probably less patriotism, probably <laughs> still grit and humility and um, uh, discipline.
0: This is 1925. Wow. A young American soldier witnesses the horrors of the Great War. This might be so early They're that this could horrors. have, this could have potentially actual World War One footage in it. Oh wow! Mm-hmm.
1: This may be the oldest movie I've seen. That'll be. Oh fun. really? Yeah.
0: That's going to be. Um, I hate to tell you this. It's two hours and thirty-one minutes. Yeah,
1: that's what there. you've said already. And um, why? Yeah. Right. Why? Why? It's 1927. Um, like, there's so many other things to do at that point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. I mean, you should be flappering.
1: Yeah, shouldn't um, you be, like, playing Tic Tacs or something?
0: <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is this is going to be a lot of big acting. This is going to be people that are yeah. used to acting on the stage. Well, a lot of stage of stuff, camera. yeah. That's, right? Right. Um, I think we're going to see... I think, yeah, I think it's going to be some patriotism. I think it's going to be people that that just got to learn to to honor the flag and and their unit. I bet there's some of that. But I bet there's also some, some, oh, the horrors of war in it because it's World War I, you know, and that's...
1: But is it like Robert E. Lee looking serenely out over the Fredericksburg battlefield and saying it's well that war is so terrible lest we should grow fond of it? Or is it like... I mean, it's not a man's head blown up like a watermelon because it's 1927, mm-hmm.
0: but, <laughs> but it, it
1: potentially could be graphic because this right. is
0: pre Hays Code as well. So, right. Well,
1: I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good mm. point. Well, Ooh. and um, you know, uh, with Paths of Glory too, like it was. I mean, it was graphic for the time. Like it was, it was graphic for the time, and you know, they put
0: within, yeah, within their limitations that they were allowed. Right. So. I don't, I, I, it's been so long since I've seen this movie. I have already purchased it on YouTube. I'm kind of dreading the, I mean, I usually watch everything twice, so that's like five hours Oof. I've got to watch this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's weird because you think a podcast about movies is fun because you're watching movies, and then you're like, to do a good job, though, you really have to, like, study this stuff. Uh (laughs) It's nothing. So I'm looking at this book I just got you. I sent you a picture of it, Charles. I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to reading it. America's War in Film and History, Why We Fought, edited by Rollins and O'Connor. And it's fun because you can go to the old uh, index here, and it says that there are two entries for the movie Glory, and they're, like, kind of incidental. Okay. But just for whatever it's worth, and this is not a barometer of much of anything, but for the big parade, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11 entries for the big parade. Oh, so interesting. This movie's fairly substantial, I would say. And I it's mean, a reader it... across lots of different people. Mm-hmm. And that, again, it's not authored by, it's edited by, which means there's a bunch mm-hmm. of different authors in here. And if you see the same movie showing up in all of those, That means it's kind of a touchstone to a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Very interesting. Yeah. So
0: I, yeah, I think we're going to see the, the establishment of some interesting tropes and particularly, um, um, a squad or whatever made up of stereotypes or not stereotypes, but you know, like, like a Brooklyn guy or whatever, like what you normally think of. I think we're going to see that.
1: Oh, fascinating. Is there going to be a guy that they call Bronx? That has like NYC on his helmet, or is that too soon?
0: Maybe, or maybe, <laughs> or, or I think like, a, there, what do we have normally in a movie? Like, there's going to be a country guy, probably. Yeah. And, a big city
1: guy, a country guy, the, yeah, the teacher, lawyer, doctor dude. Right. right? A sweet like, dummy.
0: Yeah, exactly. A sweet
1: dummy. Mm-hmm. A big oaf. I mean, there's always a great big there's gotta huge be. guy. There's got to be. He, isn't he the one that carries the bar? <laughs> <that how> <laughs> yeah, <That> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, the cho Show or whatever they, the
0: machine gun was in World yeah. War One. Queen, I, Queenie, yeah, I so. think, is what they
1: call him in the Thin Red Line. I <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so this right. will, be,
0: this will um, be fascinating. Looking forward to, to it. To, uh, I'm going to steal myself for watching of this fine movie.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be work, but it's uh, <laughs> movie work. And we'll get back together and talk about it. And honestly, the last couple of times we've done this, I've gotten a lot out of it. So I really appreciate you, friend. Thanks for... Oh, I
0: appreciate you too. Thank you, Aaron. what happened tomorrow but we men ain't we? yes sir amen we amen Bring it, yeah. men, we? yes Redwood Samuels. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news, as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies, too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones, too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.